And so, Lord, we thank you that tonight as we study, we're being prepared to go into this world to love people where they are, to love people where they are, realizing that there was a great love that came after us and that showed mercy to us, showed grace to us, presented us with the gospel so that we could be saved. And so we carry the same spirit to those that we meet, letting the Holy Spirit who lives in us speak through us to people. But Lord, it's because we, we study the word that we're prepared to know how to live in this day and how to communicate with people who have not heard the word. People who are basing life on what they've learned in the institutions, in the universities, in, on TV. They've learned so many relative truths that are just false. And they have a, without knowing it, they've fallen into a worldly belief system. But we come with a biblical worldview to share the love of Christ. So Lord, tonight may we grow, not for the purpose of knowledge only, but for the purpose of using that information, that knowledge, by the Holy Spirit to communicate with others. So we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, verse 1. One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man, we need to Sorry, go ahead. Can I have your pack for me? Like, yes. I think it's malfunctioning. Oh, okay. I have the A malfunctioning pack. There we go. Yes. No problem. See, this is why you want to come. Live stream audience can't hear me now. No, they can hear you. They can hear me? Oh. Yep, we're using the mic on the camera. They can hear you. Oh, awesome. Good. Okay, so we didn't lose anybody. No, sir. Wonderful. Okay. So, let's continue. Um, so, so Saul uh, said to the young man who carried his armor, uh, this is Jonathan, rather, the son of Saul, said to the young man who was carrying his armor, come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. He didn't tell Saul, King Saul. Jonathan didn't, didn't share that information with him. The Israelites were in a military conflict where victory seemed impossible. No question about it. They were vastly outnumbered, greatly surpassed in every way, as we just said. Now, J Jonathan, why didn't he share with his father? And why was he going to go out before a great battle? I mean, you've got Israel that's encamped. And then you've got the Philistines that are encamped. And the Philistines' camp is tens of thousands more troops than Israel. They have the weapons. Israel has the, plow, uh, the, the plows and the, and the hammers. Okay, so, uh, so, so why would he do that? Well, in the Old Testament, and, and Jonathan would have been familiar with the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. And if you were to read in Judges chapter 3, verse 31, and other places, even later, not the Pentateuch, but later, you'd find that there were times where God took Israel into battle, and they were vastly outnumbered, and God brought the victory to Israel. And so what you have is a young man, the son of King Saul, who's a man of faith. He is going to live his life by faith, not by sight. And he has a zeal for the Lord. He, he, he's not doing this to make a name for himself. And we're going to see that in the text. He is, he is rising up because he wants the Philistines to know that the name of the Lord is great. 
Now, you, you always need to check your heart when you are going to, to represent God in the community, going out, doing whatever. Always check your heart because we can easily deceive ourselves and we actually try to, we try to do whatever it is we're doing for ourselves to make our name great. And, and of course, the Bible says in, in, in heaven, when we finally go to heaven, that there's going to be rewards that are given out. And the determination for the rewards that we get are based on the works that we did. And just so you're not confused, we're not talking about works and salvation. No one is saved by works, right? That's what Ephesians 2, 8 tells us. We're saved not by works, we're saved unto good works. Just two verses later, verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2 says, For we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So before you were born, beforehand, God already knew you and he already prepared for you what you were going to do for him. All right, thank you. So, so what's powerful about this is these works that, that Jonathan is doing is not for his own glory. He is literally joining God in God's, in God's plan to go up against the Philistines. By doing this, God is going to prove himself strong in the midst of Israel and in the midst of the Philistines. Okay, So uh, now in the Pentateuch, Leviticus 26.8, here's what it says. And I think Jonathan probably found strength in these words. And that gave him the ability to rise up, not waiting for Saul, the king, and all the, all the uh, soldiers, but to go out on his own and go scout out one of the Philistine garrisons. And so uh, it's, it's, in, it's in Leviticus 26, verse 8, Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. Wow. So if you can just think about that. This is God speaking to his chosen, holy, dearly loved, who are a bunch of farmers. You're not going to fight battles like, like the world. They do it with weaponry, with power, with armor. They overpower their enemy. I will overpower your enemy. You just trust me. And if you'll trust me, five of you will take out a hundred, and a hundred of you will take out what? Ten thousand. That's why Samson was able to take out a thousand men with a jawbone of a mule. Wow. See, that's God. How could man take credit for any of that? You can't. So, so here he is. He's ready. He's going to go into battle. And, and I think it is interesting that he didn't tell his father, possibly because his father would strongly oppose such an action. He's not going to want his son to go by himself into battle, showing that Saul didn't have the faith that his son had. In God. Again, let me say, even from Sunday, that be careful what you place your faith in. It's not how much faith you have, as much as it is what is the object of your faith. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have faith or just you just need a little bit. You should always strive to walk by faith, right? God's given you a measure of faith, use it. But don't think for a second that whatever you put your faith in, then it'll happen. No. God is saying, you put your faith in me, me alone. And that's the kind of faith that Christians are to function out of, okay? Not faith in your abilities, not faith in your past experiences, 
not faith in what your church has done, faith in God, okay? And so that's where Jonathan lived, his father, a different story. Verse 2, Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migran. So there was probably a pomegranate, pomegranate tree next to a cave, and that's where Saul was hanging out. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ahitub uh, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, son of Eli, so Ichabod's uh, uh, relative, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. So the priest had his ephod on. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. So while, while Saul is reclining uh, at the, under the pomegranate tree with, with his spiritual leaders and all these folks, uh, his son is saying, Lord, I want your name to be revered among our enemy. And I've read in the Old Testament, I know what you can do. And so, Lord, I'm going to go out against the enemy tonight. Now, he's planning to go and scout. He's not planning to go in, in battle. But I think when he gets there, things change. And you might say, oh, did he see something? It's more of what I think God compelled him to do. There's something in that for us. That when you, when you desire in your heart to serve the Lord, whatever it is, in, in whatever area, in your finances, to, to, look, there's two people on the earth, just two. There's two types of people. This is it. There are owners and there are stewards. You're one or the other. You're either an owner or you're a steward. Those are the only kind of people on the earth. And, and there are wealthy, wealthy, wealthy people who are owners. They own it. It's mine. I do what I want, and I'll do it when I want. And they hold. And then there are wealthy people who are stewards. Everything I have, God has given to me. And I'm not here for myself. I am here for the service of God. These are his things, and I will steward them wisely. There are poor people impoverished people who are owners and who are stewards. Just because you're poor and you don't have much, but still there are poor people who have very little and they hoard what they have. They don't have any desire to help anybody else. It's me, myself, and I. It's, it's, a, it's a do or die world and I'm going to hold on to what I've got and I'm going to get something from you. Poor people. And there are poor people who are stewards. In my travels around uh, the country, uh, uh, outside of our country, um, as far away as India and as close as, you know, Central America, I have seen very impoverished people with nothing, dirt floors, living in huts, who when we come to their hut, uh, they were told we were coming, and I've, I've seen them walk out with the biggest smile, and they have one chicken, and they prepared the chicken for us. You talk about humbling. They're stewards. And we made sure to bless those people richly for what they had done. There's both in the world. Today, our students, our children are being taught that you need to take from the wealthy and give it to the poor. I'm sorry, that's not biblical. That is nowhere to be found among God's people. We are not to take from the rich and give to the poor. There will always, Jesus said, there will always be poor people. 
and there will always be wealthy people. And he said, it's a whole lot easier for a poor man to enter heaven than it is a rich man. So while there are stewards that are wealthy, majority of them are not. Are, are wealthy and, and share, there are, there are many who do not share. There are poor people. The majority will share, but there are poor people who won't. So the key to us as we think about this text tonight is that whatever we do, our heart is right before God. And, and we go up before the Lord in the way that brings honor and glory to His name. Everything we do. And Jonathan is being a steward of his gifts, his abilities on the battlefield. And he's going up against the enemy. Uh, now it's interesting here that God would mention Ichabod. We studied Ichabod, uh, which would be Eli's grandson, only he never lived to see him. On the day that Eli died and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, uh, I think it was uh, Phinehas's wife, who gave birth early, and the boy was born, and she named him Ichabod, which means, basically, that God's glory has departed Israel. And here is King Saul. After Samuel, the man of God, has come to him and said, because of your foolishness offering a sacrifice to God, thinking you're a priest, not waiting for the Lord before battle, now you'll be cut off. Your family will be cut off from the throne. And here is Saul. He still had 40 years as king, but here he is reclining. And of all things, uh, he's with Ichabod's uh, relative. The Spirit of God has departed. Where's Jonathan? He's out on the front line getting ready to do mighty things for the Lord. He wouldn't have known this passage but in 2 Chronicles it said, The eyes of the Lord seek to and fro throughout the earth to strongly support those whose hearts are completely His. That's Jonathan. Verse 2, And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. So that was hidden from the people. If Jonathan was going to the Philistines' garrison to make a name for himself, don't you think he would have told some folks about it? Sure he would have. He didn't tell anybody because he really wasn't, he didn't care about his name. He cared about the name of the Lord being great. Verse 4, within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes and the other uh, Sene. The, the one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash and the other on the south in front of Geba. So what Jonathan saw as he was heading towards this garrison of Philistines is a strategic position, a narrow path between two high rocky areas. And he's thinking, that's, that's exactly where I want to be. And, and uh, so look at verse 6. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, and that's what they did. They had armor bearers. When David went up against Goliath, he had an armor bearer who was, who was in front of the Philistine, who was in front of Goliath, okay? And they would literally, because Goliath was so big, it was probably a couple of them, and they would literally pick up the armor in front, of, they would stand in front of uh, Goliath, and they would walk out towards the enemy. And they would set that armor down so that, Saul, or so that uh, Goliath always had armor. Well, David goes out with nothing, right? And God takes out the armor bearers, takes out the, he still gets uh, uh, Goliath. This, in this case, Jonathan 
uh, has an armor bearer. And this, you'd have to be a man of courage to be an armor bearer because you're going to be between the enemy and the one that you're, you're defending or that you're protecting. So these guys had to be strong and courageous. And he said to, to him, uh, I love this, look at this. Uh, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. These are not God's people. They're uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Nothing can hinder who? Me? The Lord. And his armor bearer said to him, I love this, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. So what we learned there is that Jonathan went on a recognizance mission. When he got there and he saw the, the, how the rocks were and everything, he had a strength come into him, and I believe the Lord put it in him. And now he's saying, let's, hey, let's go up. Let's go up to him. God can take these knuckleheads. These guys are a bunch of uncircumcised Philistines. Our God is greater. Let's let God, let's see if the Lord wants us to take them tonight. So this gets really good, okay? Uh, he could have just prayed, by the way. God, if you would just wipe this garrison out right now. Oh, what a blessing that would be. What honor would be brought to your name if you would just go ahead and take them out right now. He didn't pray that. See, prayer requires action. If you just lay back and pray like the young guy who says, you know, pastor, I'm just really frustrated because for the last four weeks, I've been praying that God would reveal the right woman for me. I've been praying and no woman has appeared yet. Well, first of all, four weeks, really? Secondly, you got to put some legs on them prayers, boy. You know, show some action. Trust that the Lord, and, and when you get into a situation where you meet this young lady, God will tell you what the next step is, whether she's someone that you should ask out or you shouldn't. See, you, you put yourself out there. You pray, Lord, I want to fulfill your will. I want to walk in your ways. I want to join you in your work. So, Father... If you're with me, reveal it, and you go out. And then you get out there, and this gal looks at you and goes, eh, I don't think so. And you walk back, and you say, okay, Lord, that wasn't the right one. Um, that's okay. You, you, you go with God. And that's what, that's what he's doing here. This is what he's doing. Uh, I like when Jonathan says, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. He knew that God can do whatever God desires to do, and God can use whoever he desires. He's going to use a young man, the son of the king, instead of using the king himself because this boy has faith to believe that God can do it. See, nothing, nothing listen to me, nothing can restrain God from doing his work except one thing, unbelief. Now, it doesn't mean that God can't do what he wants to do even in spite of your unbelief. He can. He's God, right? He can do whatever. But he chooses to allow unbelief. Many times in Scripture, he chooses to allow unbelief to restrain him. He was just hoping that somebody would have the God-guided guts by faith to step out and follow God and do the work of God. Remember when Jesus returned to his hometown in Nazareth? We've studied this in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew records that it says, quote, He did not do many mighty works there, because of their 
Unbelief. Unbelief. In Jesus' hometown. Jesus. The one who fed 5,000. Then he fed 4,000. He goes back to his hometown. Doesn't do hardly anything. Why? Unbelief. So God's power is never restrained, but his will may be restrained by our unbelief. He may choose not to act until we partner with him in trust. That's what makes this story in the Old Testament so engaging. God has found a young man whose heart is completely God's. He's trusting that if God wants me to do it, I'll do it. And the only way to find out is I'm going to pray and then I'm going to step out. And if God is in it, we'll know. But we're not going to sit back and wait and say, God, just take care of it. We're going to step out. Now, let's face it. The odds are strongly against Israel here. But when you are doing the Lord's will, it doesn't matter if they have a thousand to one or a million to one. It doesn't matter. God's going to accomplish what he desires to do. I'm not so sure that we understand that. I'm not so sure that we really grasp that. That God can do whatever he chooses to do in your life in your family, in your ministry. We sell ourselves short too often because our focus is on us. Well, I don't think I can. You know, you're good at I. Can. It's the Lord in you that does it. And we, we fall short of seeing that. It's like that guy who went uh, hunting uh, in Africa and he's out, you know, on safari, and he comes around these bushes, and laying there under the bush in the shade was a huge lion. And he's, whoa! He knows I'm dead. But the lion, he notices, doesn't get up, and he looks closer, and the lion is caught in a butterfly net. And he looks at this lion, and the lion's just sitting there. And he goes up, and he says, what's going on? And the lion said, well, can't you see? I'm caught in the butterfly net. I can't get out. And the guy is like, are you kidding? You're Leo the lion. You're the most powerful beast in all of the land. All you've got to do is just one swat with your, look at your paw, look at the claws. One swat, you'll break out of this thing. Oh, I, 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 I want to, but I don't think I can do that. Yes, you can. I'll tell you what, on the count of three, I want you to just raise your paw and swat and watch what happens. Okay, let's do it. All right. One, two, three. Nothing. He just sits there. He goes, what's going on? What's wrong with you? And the guy, or the lion looks at him and just said, uh, if... If I try to swat it, I might break a wing. We are so far from God's identity as people that we end up taking on a false identity that does not reflect the greatness of our God. Holy Spirit lives in us and yet we try to live life out of our own strength. And what's amazing is we're just like that lion. We've been sold a bill of goods, and we're caught, we're trapped, 
and we don't think there's any way out. Here's a young man who has the zeal of God. I can do whatever God says I can do. I can be whatever God says I can be. And I'm going to follow God. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they come, or if they say, Come to us, then we will go up, and the Lord, that means the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. So here he is in prayer, you know, and speaking to his servant. Okay, when, when, if they come down, that's one thing. But if they tell us to come up, we'll know that the Lord is going to use us to do his mighty work in their midst. Now, how many military strategists would take that tact? Huh? Okay, there's the enemy. There's 20 men. It's you and I, and you're, you're my you're my armor bearer. You're not even a soldier. But we're going to tell those guys we're here, and, and if they come down, well, we're in trouble. But if they call us up there to be amongst the 20 that have the swords and the spears, we will know that God is in it, and we're going to win the battle. You have to have some great faith in God to say that. Amen? Boy, God, make us like that. Make us like that. So uh, here's Jonathan taking steps of faith while his dad's back under the pomegranate tree with this, all the spiritual people, spiritual, more religious than spiritual. And uh, Jonathan is executing great faith. This is not the same, by the way, as Gideon's fleece in the book of Judges. Gideon had a confirmed word from God to guide him. He knew that God was going to give him victory. Jonathan doesn't know that. Don't put these two in the same category. Gideon knew, but Gideon had lack of faith. He still wasn't sure, so he kept putting out fleeces to the Lord. Okay, And then in the end, Gideon did the work of God, and God was succeeded. But Jonathan is saying, man, I have faith right now. Let's do it. Lord, if you're in it, we can do it. Let's just go on up there and talk to these boys. If, if they call us up, we got them. We got them. We're going to lick them. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. Okay, that lets you have an insight into how Israel looked in their posture against the Philistines. The Philistines saw them as a bunch of little rural farm people. They're all hiding in caves and rocks and whatever. And the king was. <laughs> uh, and the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you a thing. If you come up here, we'll show you a thing or two. That's what they're saying. As soon as Jonathan heard him say, If you'll come up here. See, you and I'd be going, Oh, I'm not going up there. <laughs> There's 20 of those guys. They're, 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 they're skilled soldiers. No, no. Jonathan's like, They said it. They said it. Let's go. It reminded me of a situation back probably 25 years ago. I went down on a trip to uh, the Everglades with my friend. We would meet every uh, Tuesday and Friday morning for prayer at the church early in the morning, and we prayed together for at least a year. 
and realized that we both loved to fish and said, let's go fishing together. And so we took a trip down to the Everglades and went down to Flamingo. And uh, we got there early, early morning. I mean, it was so early that, you know, you still see the fog, okay? It's just a beautiful scene down there. It's beautiful. If you've never been to the, to, uh, the Flamingo area, it's beautiful. And big crocs, too, let me tell you. So we, we, we got the boat at the marina, and uh, my friend Mike went in to, to get some shrimp, you know, and they open early uh, because fishing is big down in that area. It's world-class fishing. So, so I'm, I'm at the boat, or at the uh, boat, and he goes in, and a little couple who come up, and they're walking with their bicycles. And they're both, they've got white uh, outfits on, like, like, they, like they're cricket players from England or something, you know, or Trinidad, Tobago, or something. So they... pray together at our church and we just decided to come down here and try some fishing so we're going to be out there for two, uh, two days camping and fishing and um, uh, so they, they, they got so excited this little couple they must have been like in their 80s and they got so excited and they said oh, that's wonderful and uh, the little man put the kickstand down came over and he stuck his hand out like that and I'm, I'm in the boat. I'm just standing there in the boat, holding the rope against the, the, the dock. And, and he said, uh, and I put my hand in his hand. And he put his other hand over my hand. And he said, may the Lord bless you and grant you all that you have come to receive. I thought, oh, that's so special. Thank you. I thought, I said, you're believers? Oh, yes. I said, that's wonderful. I'm thinking, here we are, remote, way down here in the Flamingo, 6 a.m., and the Lord brings Christians by to say, wish us well. And so I was so excited, couldn't wait to tell my friend when he came out, you know, because they got on their bikes and took off. And um, so um, we go out that day, and we fish for two days, and I keep it in my wallet to this day. This was 25 years ago. Right here. It's uh, Mike and Greg's 1995 Great Adventure. It's right, written right there on it. Day one, we each caught 25 fish. And let me tell you what fish they are. Red, redfish, snook, and trout. There are a few other little ones, like one snook, one tarpon, one uh, a jack. And then day two... I mean, we kept track of everything. We each caught 25 fish. Redfish, snook, trout, and a drum. A grand total, 100 fish on that trip. Here's my memorial right there to God, what God can do. God is so good. I don't know. Maybe those people were angels, you know, unaware. I don't know. But I'll tell you this, the Lord can do whatever God chooses to do. He can do it. And Jonathan was living it. 
Jonathan knew it. So I just think that's awesome. Um, so uh, here's what I'll say. Jonathan was prompted by faith, not knowing, you know, the whole battle plan from God. He didn't know ahead. He just, hey, let's go up. Let's go scout. It's after he gets there that God strengthens him in his belief. And he says, we can do it. If they tell us to come up, oh, it's ours. We got this battle. See, faith is willing to let God know the whole plan and to know our part one step at a time. God has a plan. Faith says God has a plan. But I don't need to know the whole plan. He'll unfold it as I go. That's how you should walk every day by faith. My God has a plan. Get up in the morning excited to pray to a God who has a plan for your life, who wants to use you for His purposes as His steward. And then just trust that as you get into the situations, God will reveal what to do, when to do it, how to do it. That's your God. Amen? Verse 11, so both of them showed themselves in the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we're going to take care of you. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. He's, he's so confident that God's in it. And then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet. They had to climb the rocks and, they, and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan. They, the Philistines, fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike which Jonathan and his armor bearer made killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length in an acre of land. So these boys went up. Jonathan was the only one that had a sword. And he's just swinging that sword, and God's taken out the enemy. And his armor bearers walking behind him probably picked up one of the storms from one of the guys that's dead and started just stabbing each one of them, making sure they're all dead. They took out 20 right there. That is an awesome God. Amen? That's an awesome God. This is not a fairy tale story in the Bible. This is a real story. This really happened. God moves in those ways. And he's using Jonathan to prove himself strong amidst the Philistines. Okay? So, verse 15. And there was a panic in the camp, in that camp of the Philistines, in the field and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked and it became a great panic. They went up to a little group that was on the outskirts of the great camp of the Philistines, but now it has stirred up the whole camp. What has stirred up the whole camp? Well, what stirred them up was God allowed an earthquake. Here's Jonathan taking them out one at a time, and now God brings an earthquake, and now it brings a holy divine confusion over the Philistines. And you got Philistines killing Philistines. They just start swinging their swords. They start throwing their spears, and they're hitting one another. See, Israel didn't have any weapons, so God said, I'll let, you use, I'll let the Philistines kill each other with their own weapons. You don't need weapons. Woo, that's great, man. That's our God. That's you and your life, what you don't have. Stop complaining about what you don't have. Be thankful for what you have from God. Let God use what you have. If God has to use less in you to do His great work, that's just more glory for His name. 
We're talking about an army that is far superior to Israel in weaponry and military tactic, and now they're running around like a bunch of chickens without heads. God has confused them and set them against each other. The Israelites didn't have any swords. Jonathan did what the Lord had asked and stepped out in faith, and now God is doing what he planned to do. He's taking out the Philistines before Israel. See, oftentimes we wait around for God to do his thing. Oh, Lord, we're praying hard. Do your thing. Do your thing. Be like for us as a church, you know, we would love to have a permanent home. We're fine to, to worship and to meet at Storm Grove Middle School. We're fine with that. We'll do that as long as the Lord wants. But we never stop seeking and looking for property, for a piece of land, or for a facility somewhere. We're always looking. We had a meeting last night, and we're continuing to look. We thought we might have had a property, but the price that, was, that the owner wanted was more than what we could pay, what we would give. And so we just knew the Lord said, nope, that's not it. So we backed off, and we're still looking. And in God's timing, God is going to provide for us something that's going to be awesome. I'm just excited for when it happens. It's going to be an awesome thing. But uh, the good news is, it's just more time for us to continue to save up the resources so that we're ready when the right thing opens up. Praise God. Amen? And, and so that's how you walk. That's, you trust God. Put your life in His hands. And verse 16, And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. So what's happening is, uh, the watchmen for, for uh, Israel can see the encampment of the Philistines. And they would, if the encampment got up and came towards them, they would warn the Israelites for the battle. But they just saw this dispersion going in the other direction, in all directions. And they're thinking, what's going on? And uh, Saul, look at this. Talk about Saul. Here he is, Mr. Insecure. He said to the people who were with him, who, were, who was with him, by the way? Are you listening? Ichabod. That's right, Ichabod. And who else? The priest, right? So he's got the, the religious leaders of Israel with him. And, and he said to them, count and see who has gone for, from us. In other words, all right, which of our guys went out there before the battle and stirred up the Philistines? Now we stirred the hornet's nest. Who did it? And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, go get the ark of God here right now, for the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. So Saul's saying, now we got to bring the ark up, and we got to go to battle real quick, but let's make sacrifice to God before we go. we got to do this thing. And, and so as the watchmen of Israel kept an eye, here Saul's getting into a tissy fit. And, uh, and so what does he do? Uh, he's trying to look spiritual. He's trying to force something. Hey, Hey, God's already in the battle. Why are you just now offering a sacrifice? Well, he didn't know that. Why? Because he's not tuning into the Lord. He's not walking in faith. Some of us, we miss the battle. Here we are praying for the battle, praying, Lord, Lord, we ask that you... God's like, dude, the battle's already happening. I just need you out on the field. Join the battle. Stop laying back and praying. There's a time to pray and there's a time to fight. And so, verse 19, Now while Saul was talking to the priest, 
The tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. They could hear getting louder and louder. More of these Philistines in the camp are, are screaming and yelling and they're killing each other. I mean, God's doing this mighty work. So Saul finally said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Forget about the ark. Let's go to battle. Well, hello, you got a clue. Good. All right, join the battle. Verse 30, then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against the, his fellow, and there was a very great confusion. Now, that's all God right there, okay? That's not anybody but God. Now, the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp, even when they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. So, uh, the Philistines had Israelites as servants. That's, Israel was always below. They were subjected to the Philistines. They had some of the Israelites as servants, and so they were going up into battle out of the fear for their master, the Philistine. But now they see what's happening, and they turn on the Philistines and start killing them too. Okay, and then it says, uh, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle. And so the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth Haven. That's really interesting to me. You got, let's, let's just look at the picture here. One man, one man had great faith. And he had a servant with him who had great faith. And they, they joined God in God's work alone. And God stirred up. I mean, God did a work. And now the spiritual leader and the king are both seeing something happening. And they're still trying to make a religious right. And finally they go, forget it. Let's just go to the battle. And now all the people of Israel who've been hiding in the caves and under trees and rocks, they came out. They didn't have the faith to start the thing, but they all joined in. Now, here's what I, people will say to me. How can you put up with people who are just playing games with God, who only get excited after the thing's already rolling? They, they just don't seem to have faith to believe. They'll even criticize what you're doing. And then once things start taking off, now all of a sudden they're showing like they're, they're all part of it. I said, hey, look, it doesn't matter to me. And it really doesn't. Because they might be that person that doubts today and next year they're the person of strength because they grow through that experience. So as a pastor, as a shepherd, I'm pulling for all the sheep, <laughs> the strong ones and the weak ones, that they'll grow, right? And that's what's happening here. So now all Israel gets involved, okay? So something brought them together. What was it? One man's faith. One man's faith. Saul was the leader of Israel, but it took him a long time to start leading. Uh, understand the picture. The king is following his son into battle, not the other way around. There was also Hebrew servants of the Philistines who went up with the Philistines against their countrymen. I, I, I think that's incredible. So everybody's getting in on it. Uh, verse 24, And the man of Israel had been hard-pressed that day. So Saul had laid, look at this, an oath on the people saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it's evening, and I am avenged of my, on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. So Here's what's happening. The battle happened before Saul even knew it because he's not walking by faith. 
He's not trusting God. The battle's raging, and now the enemy, the Philistines, this mighty army, is dispersing. They're running for their lives because now Saul's army comes in on them. All the countrymen came in on them. And Saul gives a decree, an oath. If any of you eats any food until I avenge my enemy, then you're cursed. You're going to die. Now, that's a king who has insecurity issues, wanting to be somebody important in the midst of the battle putting out that kind of, a, what a ridiculous idea to not let your men strengthen themselves as they are chasing after the enemy. This guy's got it all wrong. On the surface it sounds right, it sounds so spiritual, but it's actually very selfish of Saul. His focus is all wrong. Uh, verse 25, and now when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was, a, there was honey on the ground. How often do you find honey on the ground? In a forest. Never. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping. So while they're running through the forest chasing the Philistines, honey's falling out of the trees and landing on the ground. Not just one little thing of honey. All over the place. Okay? But no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. Let me tell you what that sounds like. Legalism. Not walking in the freedom of the Spirit of God because you're still bound by the law. The king has put out the decree, the law, and now here's this free honey that God has, provi God has provided this honey to give them strength to keep fighting and, and completely take out the Philistines. But the king has interrupted. So first of all, he missed the, what God was doing. Now he's doing something that hinders what God is doing. Because he wants to be somebody important. It's like the kid who in high school, you know, didn't get respect. He was a weakling, a thin-worthy Everybody made fun of him. It wasn't right. But then he grows up, gets a job, goes out, makes some money, and then he retires and he settles in Florida. And he joins, a, he, he moves into a gated community where he gets to be the chairman of the what? Homeowners Association. The president. the president. And here he is throwing out orders and checking everybody's yard, looking for a little tiny piece of weed that might grow up in the paved brick and sending pictures to everybody in the community. That's Saul. That's Saul. And so, Jonathan, verse 27, nobody would touch the, nobody would touch the honey for fear of the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father's charge. Jonathan didn't hear it because he's out on the front line fighting the enemy. So he put out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put the, his hand to his mouth and his eyes became bright. Exactly what God had planned. That the Israelites would just take some honey as they're chasing, put it in their mouth, and it would strengthen them to keep fighting and keep going. 
And then one of the people who saw Jonathan take some honey, Jonathan, who's been faithful to God all day long, <laughs> and they yelled out, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath. Cursed be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. See, when you live under legalism, if one person breaks the rule, man, everybody gets ticked off. What, what do you mean you're not coming to church dressed a certain way? What do you mean you're, you're going to not come to church on Sunday night? See, they're, they're caught in legalism, and they want you to be bound by it too. It's not fair that we're having to do this, and you get away with not doing it. And here you are, not, not only are you not doing it, but you're free in Christ not to do it. And here they are trying to pull you back in to their bondage. And Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little of this honey? How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found. For now the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. Now, what Jonathan is saying is very accurate and it's right, but it's wrong to say it. He should never speak against the king in public. He had every right to go to his dad later. Dad, we really blew it, here's why. But do it privately. You don't undermine the king in front of his people. So Jonathan's wrong there. But what he's saying is right. He's right. See, we can have the right thing and the timing or the motivation is wrong for doing it. I don't think Jonathan's motivation was wrong. He wanted God's name to be great. He wanted the people to be strong, to chase down all the enemy. And he's absolutely right. Had they all taken a little bit of food, they would have had the strength to finish the battle. But now they're faint, they're, faint, they're weakened. They're not going to be able to take out the enemy as they, as they would have. So the mop-up operation after a rout was very important, but they needed food. They didn't get it. So now, when Jonathan, who wasn't aware of the oath, ate some honey, his countenance brightened. Israel's victory would have been greater, but it's not greater. He should have kept his mouth shut at that point. Okay? Now, verse 31. They stuck, are struck down the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajalon, and the people were very faint. The people pounced on the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people ate them. This is after. This is, remember Saul said in the, in, the, in the oath, if you eat before evening. So they had gone all day, hadn't eaten, chasing the enemy. Now it's evening. The enemy has dispersed. They're still running. But the people stop because now it's evening. Now we can eat. And look what they did. They ate the blood ate the animals with the blood. Then they told Saul, Behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And, and, and Saul said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a great stone to me here. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Let every man bring his ox or his sheep and slaughter them here and, and eat. And do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought the, his ox with him that night, and they slaughtered them there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord, and it was the first altar that Saul had ever built to the Lord. So because Saul left his people weakened and starving after a day of pursuing the enemy, 
It put them in a place where it was easy to give in to the temptation to satisfy their hunger. And they did it in an unholy way. They knew the rights of Deuteronomy 12, 23 through 35. You always drain the blood from the animal before you sacrifice and eat the, and eat the animal. But they didn't do it. So I'm not, look, there's no excuse for disobeying God and his command as the people. But Saul contributed to their, their temptation, their, their sin. So the people's obedience to Saul's foolish command led them to easily give in to the temptation. Saul placed legalism over Israel on a day when God was giving Israel freedom to conquer an enemy. Isn't that sad? God help us that we would never be that kind of person that brings bondage over someone who's been set free in Christ. That if someone comes into the fellowship of our church, whether it be a Thursday night or a Sunday morning or a, or a men's ministry meeting or a women's meeting or whatever the thing is, and for us to look down upon them because they're not dressed appropriately for what we think is appropriate. God doesn't say anything about it. But we've already made our man-made traditions, our religious rights, and we look down upon them. God help us that we not be that kind of people that put a restriction on that God has set someone free of or that God is trying to reach someone with His love and not cripple them with His legalism. We don't live in that age. This is the age of the church. This is the age where Christ has already paid for the sins of the world. All a person has to do is believe that He did in fact pay for their sins and ask forgiveness and repent and they can be saved. They don't have to keep walking in legalism. God help us with that. Amen? Then Saul said, verse 36, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. Okay, those are great thoughts, Saul. God would like for you to plunder and take every one of them. But what you've done has restricted God's plan. And they said, Do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, Let us draw near to God here. And Saul inquired of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But God did not answer that day. And Saul said, Come here, all of you leaders of the people, and know and see how this sin has arisen today. For as the Lord lives who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. So here's Saul saying things, Oh my goodness. First of all, he gives a ridiculous oath. Now he's going to fulfill the oath and kill his son. It's amazing what our insecure, the damage our insecurities do to others. Verse 39, For as the Lord lives who saves Israel, though it may be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among all the people who answered him. Everybody, in the, everybody knew, Saul, you were wrong. You were wrong in the oath to begin with, and now you're wrong to take your son's life when he's the only one who trusted God and joined God in this great battle and victory. So Saul asked for God's counsel on whether they should pursue the Philistines into the night. Now, i got to tell you, good for Saul. Good for him. He's doing the right thing. You should inquire of the Lord before battle, before battle. And God didn't answer. Now, how would they know whether God was saying go or stay? How would they know? Well, in the Old Testament, the use of discerning tools were the Urim and the Thummim. It's described on, in several places in the Bible. Write these references down to understand the 
Urim and the Thummim. First you find in Exodus 28:30, Exodus 28:30, Numbers 27:21, Numbers 27:21, 1 Samuel 28 verse 6, and then Ezra 2:63. Ezra 2:63. Also Nehemiah 7 65. So many times the leaders of Israel would use the uh, they would use the, this this discerning tool to 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 find out from God what His wishes were, what His desire was, what His will was. Okay, uh, the names Urim and Thummim mean lights and perfection. We're not really sure what exactly these tools were, but many scholars believe it was probably a pair of stones. One was light and the other dark, and each stone indicated a yes or a no from God. The high priest would ask God a question, reach into the breastplate of his ephod and pull out either a yes or a no. And that's how they knew. I mean, that's how God basically spoke in that day. Uh, He used that. Now, they stopped using that once Jesus Christ died on the cross, and the Holy Spirit came, and li- came to live inside the heart of men. Now, we don't need to throw down dice or rock, roll the rocks. We, we trust in the Lord. We, God gives us a sense. He gives us a peace. We, 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 we follow the Scripture. We have the Scripture to follow. Look, if, if, if what you're wanting to do breaks the Scripture, don't even think about asking God what He thinks. He's already told you what He thinks in the Word. Obey the Word. But there are times where you're wondering, okay, let's say you're a young man and you are dating this young lady and you have a desire to marry her, but you want to make sure. So you put that before the Lord. Father, is she the right one for me? Are you giving me understanding here? And you'll either have a peace or you won't. Now, I'm not saying you won't be nervous about getting married. What young man isn't, especially when he sees that woman coming down the aisle? That's a heavy moment in the life of that young man. And I can't imagine what the woman must feel coming down the aisle, you know? I'm giving myself to this guy? Well, I know her father's thinking that as he's coming down the aisle, right? Who is this knucklehead? But, uh, but, but we have Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. We don't need to use these discerning tools. Uh, but on this occasion, the priest probably started inquiring of the Lord with the question, Lord, do you want to speak to us today? Well, it was a no. It was a no. Uh, now Saul makes another wrong decision based on wrong motivations. He's so sure that he's right in his first oath, he now makes a second oath. Look at this. For as the Lord lives who saves Israel, though it be uh, Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. I mean, Saul's just got to be important. He's got to be the man in the moment, right? And so he's making a statement that's just ridiculous. If he knew that it was Jonathan who who followed God in the battle, if he knew that Jonathan didn't know about the oath when he ate of the honey, he, a wise, discerning king would never have put him to death. But then he said to all Israel, you shall be on the side. He, he's, now, he's, now he's given the oath. Now he wants the people to know that God's in it. So here's what he does. You shall be on the one side, and I and Jonathan, my son, will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do what seems good to you. And therefore Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, why you have not answered your servants this day? If this guilt is in me or in Jonathan, my son, Lord, 
God of Israel, give Urim. But if this guilt is in your people Israel, give Thuman. And Jonathan and Saul were taken. <laughs> when, they, when they used the stones, it came up that it was Jonathan and Saul. And Jonathan was taken. Okay. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am, I will die. He is respecting the authority of the king. And Saul said, God do so to me and more also. You shall surely die, Jonathan. Wow. Can you imagine how shaken Saul must have been when it came up that he had to put his son to death? He was willing to kill his son rather than humble up and admit that he was really at fault. Saul started out as a humble man, but now his humility has been overtaken by his pride. He just came up with this ridiculous oath in the middle of a battle, and his son didn't even know about it. But now because of that ridiculous oath, his son has to die. And then I love this. This is God moving in the midst of Saul. And the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. It wasn't Jonathan, it was God. But Jonathan worked with God. So the people ransomed Jonathan, so that he did not die. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. So the, the summary of that is that the people rose up in support of Jonathan. And the Philistines were not pursued. Why? Because the king wouldn't feed his people in battle. His foolish decision. And the Philistines got away. Uh, verse 47, when Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. And wherever he turned, he routed them. And he did valiantly instruct the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan, Ishvi, and Malachi Shua, or Malachi Shua, I'm sorry, and the Names of his two daughters were, uh, the firstborn was Merib, and the name of the younger was Michael, or Michal. And the name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimaz. And the name of the commander of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, who was also Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abel. And there was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. Yep, because you didn't take him out. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he attached himself to himself, or he attached him to himself. So the last, those, that last passage is giving you a summary of the 40 years of Saul's reign. And in that time, God did uh, pro provide and protect Israel, even though he had a king who he announced at the beginning of his kingdom uh, through, the, through Samuel, you will not retain the kingdom in your family because you do not have a heart after me. And so this is a very, very challenging, challenging chapter for us. It is interesting that when they listed Saul's sons, they did not list Mephibosheth. 
who was one of Saul's sons. And later we'll learn about Mephibosheth. But the reason for it probably is he's only listing the sons who went into battle with him because this whole thing's about Saul in battle and Mephibosheth was crippled. Uh, so, so this is it. This is, uh, this is what it looks like when you live a life. You, you, you go through life as a Christian. You know the Lord. You're saved. You've repented of your sins. But you continually walk in your own strength and you don't allow the Holy Spirit to guide and lead you. And where that leaves you is short of the great works of God in your life. As a young man or a young woman, if you knew the Lord when you were young, your desire was to do great things for God, to be used of God, not to make a name for yourself, but for the Lord's sake. And then you settle. And then you start turning towards your own desires because of your insecurities, because you lose your identity in Christ as a Christian, because you don't appropriate the work of the Holy Spirit in your life every day. Now you're just living life as if you're a pagan. Oh, you're not doing pagan things, but you're also not doing the work of God as God desired you to do. You're not joining Him in His work. This is a wonderful reminder for us that every day we need to have the heart of a Jonathan. Lord, what is it that you want to do today? Can I please join you in it? I'm going to set my day with you in mind. And as I take steps, if something comes up, reveal it to me. Let me, let me be that blessing. I was in a restaurant recently, had a wonderful conversation with someone about the Lord. It, the Lord just opened the door. And so I walked in and had a marvelous time of sharing Christ and we had great fellowship together. That, that can happen in our lives on a regular basis that we, that we connect with people who don't know the Lord. But see, you have to have ears that are attentive to what God wants to do. If we go through life only thinking of ourselves, selfish, see, now we're not stewards, now we're owners. And you know what happened to the one, to the one uh, who buried the talent. He kept it for himself. He didn't take it and advance the, the Lord who gave him the talent to begin with. What happened? God took the talent from him and gave it to somebody else who was willing to advance God's, God's work. God's looking for a people who have great faith. You can be 90 years young and have great faith. You can be 10 years old and have great faith. It's not about age, and it's not about how much faith. It's about what your faith is in. Is it in you? Is it in your stock market? Is it in, what is it? It needs to be in God. You're just a steward. He owns everything. Amen? Amen. Father, tonight, thank you for this reminder in our lives. Thank you for allowing the, the Old Testament to speak to us today. And what they didn't have, we've been blessed with. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. They didn't know the fullness of what was to come. They didn't understand that the church would be made up of Gentiles and Jews. They didn't get it. They didn't even understand church. They had law. They had legalism. We walk in the freedom of Christ, and we have the capacity within us to do everything that you call us to do. 
The question is, are we seeking you? Are we asking you, what is it, Lord, today that you want to do in my life? I pray, Lord, that this week, for the remainder of this week, and then we approach a new week, and each week after, that we would now turn to you, that we would be stewards until the day that we're called home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you, my friends. And those of you listening in, thank you for listening in. Hey, folks, if you want to grab some more uh, food, feel free to do that before you leave. Good to see all of you tonight.